0: taken from Romans 12, uh, beginning at verse 9, and can be found on page 1139 of the Church Bibles in front of you. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Thank you, my love. Beautifully read. A bit of blue tack here, it's really annoying me. Getting... <laughs> Tidy up a bit. It's my height. Well, I don't know about you, but when um, I first read that passage, there was, there was one bit that really niggled me. And I couldn't work out uh, what it was for a while. Uh, keep your Bibles open, page 1139. Um, and it's almost that first phrase that Paul uses. Uh, Love must be genuine. The more I thought about that, the more it struck me as a pretty stupid thing to say. Now look, here are two objects of my love. And I love Marmite passionately. (laughs) Marmite with toast, Marmite with bananas, Marmite with strawberry jam. Wonderful. But do I love Marmite genuinely, sincerely? I don't know about that. And there's another object of my affection. I think um, I think one of us fell in love about 50 years ago. I'm not sure the other one did. But nonetheless, if you were to say, "Is love for my wife genuine or sincere?" would well, you say, "Well, it's a stupid question." I mean, uh, uh, of course it is. So I looked a bit closer at what Paul was saying and realised that, as some of you biblical scholars who already have thought about, that Paul's using a special word for love. He's using uh, a Greek word, agape. It's a word the New Testament writers kind of repurpose to describe God's love, because it's so special, it's so different. Um, So, just to give a flavour of that, here are some other famous verses that we'll be familiar with, where where Paul talks or the writer talks about agape love. So John 3.16, God so loved the world that he sent his son, that's agape love. Matthew 22.39, love your neighbour as yourself, It's agape love. Colossians 3.19, husbands love your wives, it's agape love. 1 Corinthians 13, three things remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of those is love. And it's agape love. So this word agape is a really important New Testament word, isn't it? But what exactly is it? Well, that's where I want to start. I want to just reflect a little bit. Uh, on what this means, because it's what Paul has been writing about in Romans up till now. That's what he's been uh, uh, basing his whole letter on. So, let's just get agape love in perspective. The other week, I was down uh, with explorers, uh, and uh, they were looking at a passage in Isaiah, and they were learning about how huge and how great and how wonderful our God is. And in Isaiah, he says uh, that to God we are really just like locusts. Now that's sort of difficult in Hove, isn't it? We don't really have locusts. But think ants. Okay. Imagine instead that Isaiah had used the image of ants, because we're more familiar with that, isn't he? And what Isaiah, which is going to drive you mad staring at this, but what Isaiah was telling us, was that really to this great creator God, we should be utterly insignificant. And the amazing thing and the amazing message of the Bible is that even though we are no more than an ant's nest, really, to this great God, he still loves us. And he still loves us, even though we go about in our day-to-day lives ignoring God, rejecting him, and simply uh, not taking any notice of him. We have, if you like, repeatedly spat in the face of God the God who created us and who still loves us. Now, I don't know what happens in your flat or your house when the ants appear. Um, I'm trying to be kind to all creatures, but Judith gets the ant powder out uh, and uh, they are destroyed very quickly. And if the ant powder doesn't come out, well, they just get stamped on. Very simple, very aggressive in our house. Very easy to deal with an irritating small creature, isn't it? But what does God do? He doesn't do that. He hasn't done that, has he? What he said is, let me show you how to live life properly. So he comes down in the form of Jesus Christ, doesn't he? And he lives out his life amongst us. The perfect person, perfect relationship with God, God on earth, showing us how to do it. And at the end of that life, he takes the punishment that we've deserved for our rejection. Almost takes the ant powder, if you like. He takes the punishment that we deserve for our attitude to him so that we can be reunited as friends to him. That's the message of the cross, isn't it? And that's what Jesus did on the cross. That's what Paul's uh, been writing about. And the big point of agape love is that God didn't need to do any of that, did he? He could have stamped on us and moved on. But he doesn't. Out of love... He offers himself to save his creation, and he gets nothing back. It's amazing, and that's why the New Testament writers had to find this new word, really, or reuse this word, agape love. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And so Paul's introducing this, this passage with this, this, love must be genuine. In fact, in the Greek, it isn't even that, it's just two words. it agape, genuine. It's as though the two things just go together. Agape love is genuine. It must be genuine. That is just the whole nature of agape love. It, it's wholehearted and it's inevitable that agape and genuine love, they're the same thing. So, it's not my love of Marmite. It's, not, it's even beyond my love for my wife. It's agape love. And that agape love, what Paul's writing about, is in you and me when we turn to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, the agape love is living in us. And that's why Paul has to write about it here and say, well, what's that going to look like in your life and my life uh, over the coming weeks? And he gives us three aspects uh, to think about. And those three all sort of interlock, actually. They 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 will they, all come together in these passages. But he talks about uh, our attitude to God, and he talks our attitude to other people, And he talks about our attitude to ourselves, if you like, how we handle uh, our inner self. Um, And that's what we're going to look at really now as we look at Amazing Love in action. Uh, And we'll start with verse 11, because verse 11 talks about our attitude to the Lord. And it picks up the song we've just sung, really. It talks about serving the Lord. Now we're not very good at being servants, are we? I mean, I think we find service different. We know what difficult. We know what bad service looks like. Not sure many of us are good at service. Certainly, when I think of service and being a servant, one image springs to mind. Probably the uh, ultimate uh, example of, of a bad servant: Edmund Blackadder. This is series three, I think. If you've got no idea what I'm talking about, then you just need to get home and start watching it for the afternoon. That will be your, that'll be your spiritual work. But here he is. Here is Blackadder, uh, serving, uh, Prince George. Now does Blackadder serve George with agape love? I don't think so, does he? I mean, Blackadder spends his entire life looking after himself, doesn't he? When he's, not a, when, he, when he's not in front of George, he's plotting against him. And when he's in front of King George, even now, uh, he's just working out things to his own advantage. And our service, Paul says, has to be very different, doesn't it? Wholehearted and sincere. In fact, so different from Blackadder that Paul says in Galatians that if he was trying to serve people, then he could not be a servant of the Lord. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? So, Blackadder only serves his Lord when his Lord is looking at him. I wonder how that measures up as a benchmark for our attitude to the Lord. I wonder whether we just see our lives as serving God when we're here, when we're in church, perhaps when we're in a house group, or do we see it as going outside of that? Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So you don't need to be a mission partner to serve the Lord. It might help, but you don't need to be. Whatever you're doing this time tomorrow, that's where we serve the Lord. And we serve the Lord not to make him look kindly on us, not because we might, Get a good seat in heaven or whatever it is. We serve the Lord because that is His love in our lives in action. So that's our attitude to the Lord. Verse 10 and 11 tell us about our attitude to other people. Uh, and look at the words there. Verse 10 13, sorry. We are to be devoted to each other. We're to put others first. We're generous and sharing. And in fact, not just to other Christians, but to anyone who is in need. And we behave like this because of agape love within us. Now, Phil Washington was talking a bit about this uh, a few weeks ago, and he made the perfectly good point that some some of us find this a lot easier than others. Some of us find it easy to be hospitable, and some of us find it easier to be generous. Um, And actually, verse 7, if you look back there, Paul's already said that serving and generosity are gifts. And it's true that some people seem to be specially called to these ministries. But we can't simply say, as I would love to say, well, I'm just a grumpy old man, that's the way the Lord's made me. Uh, That's my temperament. It doesn't work like that if we have the spirit of agape love in our lives, then this is how we will behave. Um, I think it was Ray Evans at the away day was talking about this, and he, and, he, and he quite rightly said that being generous and being hospitable does not mean you've got to go over the top. It doesn't mean you've got to do lavish meals that go on for hours and go and get the best wines from waitros and all that stuff. It may simply be we give people time. I find that really difficult. I have to count sometimes, but we give people time. Perhaps just a cup of coffee, maybe even a glass of water. Very simple stuff, but that's what we're called to do. And Paul says, whether you find it easy or not, genuine love, it must be genuine. Easy to behave for the wrong motives. We need to test our motives, don't we? Even getting that glass of water. We do it for love for the Lord few years ago, of um, many years ago, actually back in the 80s it was so long ago, otherwise I'm not sure I could tell this story, uh, we were in a house group here um, with some friends and we were having quite an honest conversation about stuff like this, about what we found easy in our spiritual lives and what we found difficult. Um, and Nick, who one or two folk might remember, Nick was saying he found it very easy to be generous. He said how easy it was for him to give away money. And in fact, he'd given away so much money this week uh, that there really wasn't much money left for food. Um, and the children and the family were living off cornflakes. And they'd had cornflakes for breakfast, they'd had cornflakes for lunch, they'd had cornflakes for supper. But he said, but it's alright, because we've given to the Lord. And we were all quite impressed by that, that was quite, quite challenging until his wife, who was looking a bit fed up with the whole business in the background, just quietly said, it's a pity you haven't given away your golf clubs, isn't it? (laughs) And that was a good reminder, wasn't it? Where our heart really is sometimes. And that's why Paul goes on to talk about our inner self. Um, And that's where he talks about attitudes, and we're moving now to verse 9. He says in verse 9, you are to hate what is evil and we are to cling to what is good. And in verse 11, we're not to lack in fervour. Verse 12, we're to be joyful, patient, faithful, and so on. See, it's easy to act out agape love, but what's going on inside is more difficult. Now, one thing that's quite interesting is that Paul doesn't go into a lot of detail here, doesn't he? He doesn't give us a great long list of exactly what it means to be joyful, what it means to be patient, what it means to be good, or what good things are. I think instead his language makes us step back a bit and just think about our, our attitude, our starting position. And I picked on verse 9 perhaps as one that sums it up as better as any other. Verse 9 he says, Cling to what is good. Now here is a very small creature clinging on. And this baby gibbon, I guess, knows, if it thinks at all, um, that if it lets go, it's lost. If it lets go, it loses its shelter, its protection, its food, and everything. And I think Paul is trying to say the same to us here, isn't he? He's saying we need to cling to good and we need to cling to the Lord Jesus. Whatever our circumstances, whatever's going on around us, we need to cling on like this baby gibbon and that's not easy is it it takes effort I used to do rock climbing I wasn't very good at it I regularly froze halfway up the rock face um, and I clung on and you just freeze hanging on to the rocks but goodness me it was exhausting, it took effort but if we don't cling on if we don't make the effort then like this baby gibbon we will fall we can drift away And as we said, Paul doesn't tell us what is good, what is evil, because we all know what's good. We know what's good, and we know what's evil when we encounter it. We have our consciences, we have the Holy Spirit informing us, but of course evil is tempting. If it wasn't tempting, it wouldn't exist. Of course we're going to be tempted towards those things which are not good. But Paul says we need to learn to hate it. So whatever we're watching... Whatever we're talking about, whatever we're speaking about, whatever we listen to, whatever we read, it's almost like the filters on your computer, isn't it? You have our filter set very high. And we reject anything that smacks of evil. And we have to work at that. It's a conscious effort to do it. And we cling to what is good. And that's why I think Paul uses such strong words in this passage. Look at verse 11. He says... um, never be lacking in zeal. He says, keep your spiritual fervour. They're strong words, aren't they? They're not not easy words at all. In fact, we don't even like the word zeal now. uh, It smacks of extremism and uh, and, and religious crackpotism, if that's a word. But actually, zeal, nothing wrong with zeal at all. Got to have another picture of this, haven't you? And I was uh, reading in the rather extensive coverage uh, after the Cricket World Cup, that apparently for the past five years, after every match in any country, every day's playing, whatever country the England team were in, however long the match had been, that a few of the players got out and ran boundaries. So running round and round the boundary, even at the end of a long and tiring game. They were running to make themselves fitter and faster uh, for the big matches. Now that zeal, nobody is criticising the England team at the moment for their zeal. But that was zealous, wasn't it? Putting in that extra effort. And I think we often think zeal means standing outside with a megaphone, shouting at people. But zeal doesn't mean being rude or shouty. J.C. Ryle uh, was writing in the 19th century and he put it like this. He said, zeal means not being a lazy, easy, sleepy Christian. But it means having a desire to spend ourselves, even to die, to please God and to honour Christ. That's what we're being called to in these verses. And what will that look like in my life and your life as we walk out of this place, as we uh, go to the workplace or the shops or whatever tomorrow? How do we do that? Well, we'll think about that in a bit more in terms of sustainability. But one very simple thing to do just from today is just to look at these verses and just to pray that we will apply these verses in our own lives this week. It'll be a conscious effort to do some of the things that Paul sets out here. So we'll think about how we're going to serve the Lord, how we're going to care for others, how we cling to God this week. That wouldn't be a bad start. Now, the trouble with this sort of sermon is it all sounds like rather hard work. Um, and frankly, you know, running boundaries at the end of five days' cricket on and so on uh, all sounds like uh, putting in an awful lot of effort. And that may sound a little bit depressing. But just remember how this chapter starts. It starts with verse 1, uh, which I think David was talking about uh, a few weeks ago. that We are called to be living sacrifices. So we're not called to be dead sacrifices, neither are we called to be miserable sacrifices or exhausted sacrifices, but living, we're to be hopeful, joyous sacrifices. But maybe the question is, mm, well, how do I do that? That doesn't sound um, that easy. So how do, I, how do I keep going? Well, three quick points uh, to end with uh, about that. Firstly, and I don't know that this is true, but I think this is true, um, that these things are, are iterative, as they say. I think we find that uh, as we practice hospitality, we find we grow in love. I think as we cling to good, we, we we find joy. I think as we exercise patience and give time, then it's easier to give money and so on. I think we'll find the spirit works in our lives and as he helps us in one area, that feeds into another. So I think that's one way that we are helped to live like this. Secondly, um, there are very practical things we can do to live like this. Um, Paul talks about it uh, elsewhere. And in fact, there's a book at the back, or there was a book at the back, called Zeal Without Burnout, which was one that Ray was uh, promoting at the, uh, the away day. Um, now, that's really about managing zeal. Um, I think probably all of us could do with a bit more zeal. We're not in danger of burnout yet. But nonetheless, in that book, he does give us some helpful uh, pointers about how to help us keep going, keep being zealous. And they're, they're very practical things. Um, so make sure we do spend time in prayer uh, and, and reading, and actually just in silence sometimes. Just give that time for the Lord to speak to us. And we need to get encouragement, don't we, from our Christian friends. It's really difficult to live for the Lord on our own. We need to talk to each other, we need to encourage each other over a cup of coffee afterwards. Just to ask someone, how can I encourage you? Because this is not easy. Agape love is sacrificial love. We need to come along here. I mean you're here, so you don't need to know that, but encourage those who aren't. We need to come along and and, and meet together and we need to meet in our small groups and our house groups or whatever. All these things help to build us up. And if some of these verses do feel a bit challenging, if you're thinking, well, this is a standard I can't possibly aspire to, then those things are going to be particularly important. One other thing, though, and it's an important point. Thirdly, verse 11. Just look at verse 11. Can you see that word spiritual there? See, this, this idea of being hospitable, being patient, being joyous, all these things there... That is not something we're ever going to do in our own strength. However hard we try, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to help us. This is a spiritual thing. And that Holy Spirit is a spirit of agape love. We have agape love living in us. We just have to allow that agape love out. And the Holy Spirit is there living it out in our lives. And his gifts and his fruit are all there given to us to help. I want to say that you can read your Bible actually as much as you like and you can go along to small groups and you can come here every Sunday. You're probably really wasting your time unless we're open to the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us and prompt us and empower us. So we don't cling to good, trusting in our own strength. We're going to rely on the Holy Spirit. We can't honour people above ourselves. We're much too selfish to do that. We rely on the Holy Spirit uh, to help us and give us the right attitude. We find it difficult to serve God. We want to serve God like Black Adder does. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to give us the power to do that. That's His job. He's longing to do it. Well, let me sum up before we finish. Agape love, that's God's amazing love given to everyone who follow Jesus. And his spirit is there to help us live out that agape love in our daily lives uh, as we relate to God, as we relate to people uh, and as we re- handle our own in ourselves. And you know, as we do these things we will find we grow in his service we'll grow in his devotion and we will see his kingdom grow. Let me just pray. Father God, we just thank you so much that you loved us, insignificant as we are, uh, to send your Son to die for us. And thank you for that great agape love that you have shown us and poured into each one of our hearts. And we just pray that as we go out uh, the rest of this week, uh, that we will live out your agape love through your Holy Spirit in everything we do, in our relationship with you, with other people, and in our innermost being. And we pray that in your name. Amen.